arm? Where'd you see that? Caroline posted it on uh, Instagram. Two days until the wedding opened. Three days until the wedding. Oh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if there was a family golf outing. Both the families are very into golf. Mm, yeah. That's cool. Well, as Billy Idol would say, it's, it is a white wedding. Uh, anyway, <laughs> shitty jokes aside, uh, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Big Screen. We told you we would do it, and unlike your favorite politician, we fulfill our campaign promises, <laughs> and we are coming to you <laughs> for the second time this week in preparation of the biggest singular um, film event of any given calendar year, the Oscars, the this season's 2021 Oscar nominations. We watched all the movies in the categories that we care about, and now we're going to talk about them and try to make some predictions based on whatever criteria you feel is most apropos. So, Corwin Heller, are you ready to talk about our official Oscar nominations? If you can tell me what apropos means. I can, but I will not. Okay. Yeah, then I'm ready. All right, cool. Uh, so I figured the easiest way to do this would be to do this um, with uh, I don't care which award first and then best picture last. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. All right. Uh, I know the Oscars has their own order. I don't really care what the Oscars' order is um, because we are not them, and that does not sound like it's my problem. So I also don't know what it is. So yeah, and you know what? Again, why should we fucking give a shit? They their order is curated to be um, there to maximize viewership and attention span to uphold the massive amount of ads that they force you to sit through. Um, but you know, whatever. Actually, I guess Corwin, before we truly, truly get started, do you have any thoughts on the Oscars ceremony as it exists? Do you watch the Oscars? Uh I will watch the Oscars as in I'll have it on and then sit on my phone until I see someone present and then I'll look up. Um, I don't give a shit about any of the jokes or performers or if there's even performers. I don't know. I know the Emmys have them or, you know, any of the monologues. I don't care. Uh, Usually they have some musical performances and usually it's some of the like, you know, nominees for the um musical categories or something but yeah sure, I, but I don't care man i don't give a shit i don't give a shit <laughs> i usually try to watch like part of it but it's it's i hate that the academy makes such a point of telling everyone to shut the fuck up and it's like look i i don't understand if if i had an option between hearing a random sound engineer, I'm never going to see their face again, speak for five entire consecutive minutes or contiguous minutes about what this award means to him or have that five minutes be split between three different guest hosts and a Toyota commercial. I'm going to pick the sound engineer every time. Let these people who are achieving the highest award that they can possibly receive in a realistic sense take the time to actually talk about what that means to them instead of giving people speedboats for not fucking saying anything. It seems immensely repressive and I don't appreciate it, but that's my two cents. 
I really hate the Academy, but I love movies. It is, it is, it is the MLB version of of entertainment for me. Love baseball. Like, hate yeah. MLB. Yeah, I get that. But anyway, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Joe Pesci's acceptance speech of just like, "Damn, thanks. See you later." That was a good one. That's a iconic always, moment. I've always thought about I would do something like that if I ever won, and then I always remember I, I'm never going to do anything worthy of that. So uh, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I don't exactly have an Oscar speech prepped and ready to go for my many, many achievements. Um, yeah, no. So, all right. So, you know what? Then let's start with uh, best actor, best actor in a leading role. So, for this film, we have Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yun for Minari. Now, Corbin, I think it probably is most fair if we take turns going first so that someone's not getting shafted and having to go first or second the whole time. Do you want to start us off, or do you want me to start us off? I am indifferent about who starts. Uh, my one question is, are we choosing who we would pick or who we are predicting to win it? Well, not to that, make that clear. That I'm leaving up to you. If you would like to offer both, I think that might be fair. I think we could give both. Maybe we could give an honest pick versus, or like, um, a, a, a who you would vote for versus who you think will win. Hmm. Okay, that's fair. All right, I'll let you start us start us out. Okay, hold on. I'm just if adding words. I'm adding another column in the little spreadsheet I'm going to have going, or I guess row, but whatever spreadsheet vernacular. Um. All right, so. <sighs> mm. So I I'm trying to fight the bit of recency bias I have that says the father, but I think my personal vote would still probably be the father. This is a, a very strong category, and I think it's probably going to be one of the strongest categories that we're going to see. Um, since I don't think there'll be as stiff competition elsewhere. I think Gary Oldman here probably is the weakest link, and I think that actually says a lot for how good this category is um obviously it's great seeing steven yun and riz ahmed get representation in this category and otherwise i'd like to vote for one of the two of them and maybe i'd get there later but if i'm going strictly based on top fucking notch performances i mean again up until corwin and i watched the father um for yet uh, tuesday's show i really didn't care about watching it at all and it, i'm surprised by how much i ended up enjoying it corwin mm -hmm. uh, i think had much the same thought and i hate to I'm going to try not to chalk that up to recency bias, but I'm still going to go with my personal vote being the father. I think, however, if I had to choose also what award will, or what which nominee will win the award, I would guess Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty much word for word with you. Um, I'd love to see Riz Ahmed pull it off and win it. I, I really loved his, his performance, and he, you know, he was my vote leading up to seeing the father and seeing, you know, Anthony Hopkins performance. And, and that just blew me out of the water. And his is my clear cut, you know, favorite choice uh, to win it. That being said, I just, I don't know how they don't give it to Chadwick Boseman. Like as much as I love Anthony Hopkins, 
it's a situation where even though even though his performance was in my mind just inarguably better the situation of Chadwick Boseman also giving a, a a very good performance him passing and Anthony Hopkins being the kind of guy who's been here before you know this this isn't like you know it's a situation where it's like all right we'll give it to Anthony Hopkins you know it's the end of his career he's never won it before it's like no he's been nominated three times or uh sorry six times uh he's won it once it's just it's going to Chadwick Boseman yeah, and you know, I think I might have mentioned this in like a previous episode that like high school Josh would have been mad about the concept of somebody winning who didn't necessarily have the best performance that year. And you see it referenced a lot. You know, there's um, a famous conversation with um, Denzel Washington about him not winning best lead actor for Malcolm X when it went to Al Pacino that year. And when asked about it, um, Denzel said that he didn't vote for himself either. And he said, you know, this was, he said something to the effect of like, Pacino's put in the work and he's put in the years. And this is, you know, he's like, I'm young. I got more shots. And he, you know, kind of alluded to the idea that like Pacino hasn't been in a lot of stuff recently. That's going to get him to this point. You know, it was that kind of thing. It was about the total contribution of someone to the art, to the medium. And I think to that effect, that's why I, if Chadwick Boseman walks away from this award, there should be no one upset about it. Whether you think he had the best performance or not. Mm-hmm. Because like he, you, go ahead. Whether you like it or not, this isn't presented in a vacuum. It's not presented in a way that it's just this individual role as it is portrayed in this film by this actor, end of sentence, end of statement, end of consideration, there's everything else that you can't avoid, including along with it. And at the end of the day, with everything surrounding Chadwick Boseman, I do not know how you can give it to anyone else. It could have been the greatest acting performance of a lifetime from Anthony Hopkins, and there's still an argument to be made about whether or not it should go to Chadwick Boseman for giving a good but not historic uh, performance of his own because of what he's done for film in the short time he's been here and the tragic passing of his that is going to culminate in this being the last opportunity for him to win it. Yeah, and the only nomination he's ever received in his career. So, you know, mm-hmm. this this is this is the the pinnacle of his awards career. I'm not going to say his yep. true career because he's been in so much and he's done so much. But uh, I mean, it, it means a lot. Um, just to speak very quickly on the other nominees, Riz Ahmed, we talked about uh, a lot uh, during Sound of Metal, but again, he had a phenomenal performance. All of these performances are great because all of them did something very different from each other, and I think mm-hmm. that that is tough to see in, in any given year something so drastically different. Riz Ahmed showing um, 
you know, the slow proceed towards deafness. Anthony Hopkins showing a slow mental decline due to old age. Uh, Chadwick Boseman showing uh, the kind of fire and fury of a black man in the early 20th century uh, while also trying to make it into the music industry. Um, Stephen Yun doing um, an amazing job as an as a Korean American immigrant um, speaking Korean, which apparently he like knows, but it's not as fluent to him as it was in this film. Like he had to brush up on it and really study for it, which I think makes his performance even mm-hmm. more impressive. Um, Gary Oldman probably has the most in his wheelhouse performance here. Um, I don't mean to be dis- dismissive of Gary Oldman, but this is very much like if you know Gary Oldman, this character wasn't a huge stretch. This is um, what you expect from Gary Oldman, right? Like I don't, is, I don't want to relate it too much to Mike Trout because Gary Oldman is not equivalent to that. But at the same time, it's you kind of get bored with the level that he performs at constantly. And so when he just does what, quote-unquote, he's supposed to do, it seems like nothing new. You still appreciate it, but it's it's been there, done that. Right, but um, absolutely. So all around, this is a great year for representation for this category, um, but Corden and I made our picks and predictions, so let's move on then to, uh, let's do Best Actress in a Leading Role. Nominated okay. in this category, we have Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Uh, Corwin, it is your turn to make your pick first. Man, I am both surprised that we went with this because I, I don't have a good reason why I'm just kind of wasn't expecting it. I don't know why I wasn't, but just looking at this list again, I, I just, I feel biased wanting to say that I'm going to have a hard time giving it to anyone but Francis McDormand. But like, I really want to give it to, there's so many I want to give it to. This is a, this is a tight race. You know, it's definitely not as, high of a peak as we've seen in previous years but at the same time it's also kind of a year where i could see it going to any one of them but i'll give i'll keep it with francis mcdormand and i'll say that she wins it overall okay interesting all right um i like you I'm going to say that my vote getter would also be the winner, and I'm going to say Viola Davis. Um, mm. I think what her and Frances McDormand, who I think are the two front runners in this category, based on um, our viewings of this film, Andrew Day, I would say also tightly in there with the with the two of them. Um, not so much a fan of Vanessa Kirby or Carrie Mulligan's performances in their in their films. We talked about both their performances in their films. I do not think in either of those instances it was necessarily their fault. I think both of those two got stifled by their screenwriting, um, which I don't want to hold against them. Which uh, is why I would still consider either of them. I'm going to hold it against them only because we have to. I have to make comments somewhere about why someone is more or less deserving of the category, and then I mean. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's not the most tasteful way of doing it necessarily, but it's practical. So here we are. Um, I'm going to go Viola Davis because I think it is a bigger departure from or a, a wider expression of range than necessarily Francis McDormand's role is. Not to say that this is as much of a layup Francis McDormand performance as I necessarily think um, Gary Oldman's is in Mank, just that the quote-unquote like normal American woman role is a very Francis McDormand role, and I think the role of Ma Rainey is very different from a... A performance we tend to get out of Viola Davis, who tends to also play typical American woman very frequently. So to right. get her to be such a larger role, I think might bear in a little bit extra weight here. Obviously, this is partially my Viola Davis bias, as you have your Francis McDormand bias. We are humans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we we have people that we like and give bias to. Um, but. Uh, so, but anyway, I'm going to pick Viola Davis, and I, I think also think she will end up walking away from this category. However, I could also see a world in which Andra Day takes this award because the United States versus Billie Holiday was otherwise such a bad movie. <laughs> and I mean completely serious. You know, it, this is the only award that movie is nominated for. It's the only one. And so if you liked any part of this movie and you wanted to reward something of it, this is the only category you have to give a vote to. And it just so happens, this is a huge category, number one. And number two, Andrew Day did do a phenomenal job. So I could see a world in which there is some vote fatigue for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Like, you know, some people who say, I voted for Chadwick for the lead actor role, so I don't want to do double up on the acting roles for this category uh, maybe or this film maybe i'll split it out or some shit like that um so i could see that world too but i'm gonna pick viola davis for both i will say i definitely understand your reasoning here if i had to rank them in order of which i would present these present is the word i was going for i would go francis mcdormand vanessa kirby viola davis andrew day carrie mulligan Looking at Carrie Mulligan again, I think that's a, a solid, easy number five. I said I could see any of them win it. I don't think I could see her winning it in any capacity. I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different, different level, different tier. Just Very the way it goes. much so. All right, so then let's take this into our next category. That brings us to Best Actor in a Supporting Role. The nominees for this category are Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield also for Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, I went first or you went first on the last one? You went first. I go first on this one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I'll basically I'm starting with the men. All right, so this one, this is kind of a fucked up category because Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are both listed here. And part of the reason that might end up being a problem is that if you very much so enjoyed the acting in this film, these guys are in the same category and they may very well steal votes from each other. Um that being said, I would personally pick Daniel Kaluuya for this. And I actually also do think he's going to win for this. 
I think the other performances in this are very strong. I think this is a great category with really no wrong answer. Um, this is the best acting performance I've seen from all of these people. And these are all very talented people with, um, not to say an exception, but um, barring the fact that I've never seen Paul Racy in anything else. Uh, he did a great job in this. Um, but I think the power of Daniel Kaluuya's um, performance combined with the power of the message that that performance is meant to entail, I think lends itself very easily towards vote getting by way of meeting the moment and being relevant in addition to how well he did with it. So I'm going to go Daniel Kaluuya on both fronts. I am as well. Um, I, I don't know if this is my favorite Lakeith Stanfield role, but that's really just speaking to his career so far where he seems to be like, I don't want to say supporting, like a fantastic supporting character in anything, in everything, I should say, excuse me. Um, but he's fantastic in everything, whether or not he's lead or not. Uh, I can't tell you the last time I saw a movie of his that I didn't enjoy his role. But yeah, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya just kind of stands ahead above the rest here. And I, I'm not questioning this in any capacity. Yeah, I, I mean... Sasha Baron Cohen, I think, does a great job bringing a lot of comedic relief to what is otherwise a very, very dark film, um, or at least very serious and stern film, um, and reminds you that he is Sasha Baron Cohen without hitting you over the head with the fact that he's Sasha Baron Cohen. Leslie Odom Jr. obviously is the charming self that he always is and lends weight to what is otherwise kind of a lighthearted character, or at least meant to be a more gentle character amidst some of the harsher facades of his, uh, you know, counterparts. Um, Paul Racy is the guiding voice of the entirety of Sound of Metal. I mean, he is the man who lends wisdom and comfort and a home to uh, our main character played by Rizamad. I can't remember character names. I can only do actor names. Um, and does a, a phenomenal job by in being a steady and sincere voice. And as you said with the key Stanfield, this is a great category, but yeah, I, I do think this is Kaluuya's to lose. Uh, all right. So shall we go to best actress in a supporting role? Uh, yes, I am ready. All right. So for this category, we have Maria Bakalova in Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yu Jun Yoon for Minari. Corwin, you get us started. I, you know, looking over this, I am truly amazed to say that I'm giving this to Glenn Close and I'm not really considering anyone else. Um, I really enjoyed Yu Jun Yoon's performance. I really enjoyed Olivia Coleman's performance. I just don't think either of them kind of reached the peak that Glenn Close did in that film where, you know, in the same way you, you mentioned Andrew Day and, and Billie Holiday, Glenn Close was the only palatable part of that film. And 
God, that was such an unbelievably dog shit film that that is truly saying something. Just such a shit show. Um, I mean, Maria Bakalova, I, I didn't even think it was that good of a performance. Amanda Seyfried's, Seyfried's performance was good. I wouldn't consider it Oscar worthy. Um, and, you know, I don't have a ton to say, but that's pretty much it. This is a very weird category. Um, so with the other ones, there's been a lot of... Oh, what's the, heft to the roles in every facet? And in this one, there's a little bit of lightheartedness in there as well with Maria Bakalova and Glenn Close. Not to say that Glenn Close is like a chipper character, but Hillbilly Elegy, I don't think, has the emotional weight that the rest of the films we've talked about so far do. Um, and so that kind of makes this category feel a little bit, I don't know, just different in some kind of way. Um, all of these women did a great job and all of these performances have all their own merits. I'm debating, I'm flip-flopping on my own, on myself about who I would pick. Um, I'm going to write off Amanda Seyfried only because I don't think her role contributed as much to the greater piece that is her film so much as the other ones did and i'm going to actually write off glenn close just because hillbilly lg was so bad and i i hated it and i know i shouldn't hold that against her but i am Uh, i get it for amanda (laughs) seyfried though you made me think of it i feel like if you removed her character from the movie i don't want to hold this against her performance i think we still reached the same ending of that film without much of a side you know without much of a detour right and that's because her character was just there as basically a fun fact for the movie that became um uh god damn it why can't i think of it again i lost it again what's the movie that that fucking that they were writing citizen kane citizen kane thank you jesus yeah. christ this happened to me during the fucking podcast episode too um <laughs> no because amanda seyfried's character Vertigo. is seen uh, or is represented in the movie Citizen Kane. You know, it's and it's supposed to be she's supposed to be represented as like a dig, it's like an insult towards the um main character in Citizen Kane and it's supposed to draw this parallel to how it's mean but how Seyfried or how Seyfried's character is viewed in real life. It was supposed to be a dig at both her and um the guy whose name I forget to William Henry Harrison or some no that's a president. Um, William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have uh, no idea where that information came from. You know, you got this movie I on have no point idea. in your head. <laughs> um yeah, I agree. It's not her fault, but at the same time, you are also right. Um so I think Oh damn. So I'm between picking Olivia Coleman or um Yu Jung Yoon as my pick. I do think Yoon or uh, Yoo Jung Yoon is going to win this. Um I think it's a, a first off it's a great moment of representation especially for um Asian cinema which for anyone who's unfamiliar Korean cinema is so fucking good. Um it's so fucking good. And I know that that shouldn't be necessarily in its own reason to give an Academy Award to more Korean people. But at the same time, I also think it kind of is because Korean cinema is so fucking good. And it, 
I don't think a, a person's entire acting career should just be written off necessarily because she wasn't in more English speaking roles or English speaking films. Um, not to say eh, I'm just going to stop talking because I'm going to ramble for a while. Uh, but I think Yu Jung Yoon did a phenomenal job. I want to pick Olivia Coleman as my vote only because I felt her role a little bit stronger, probably because of, you know, just personal history. I'd never lived on a farm. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'll, that's what I'll do then. I'll, I'm going to pick Olivia Coleman for my pick, but I'm going to pick uh, Yu Jung Yoon to win the award. That's where I'm going to land on it. By that reasoning, can I now assume that you've been married to a man named Paul? Um, and James, both. Oh, congratulations. I did not get you anything. Ah, <sighs> when do you ever? Um, ah, <laughs> oh, when do you ever? Uh, all right, so let's take it to best directing, um, which is shit. Mine to start. Okay. Um, all right, so the nominees for best director this year are Thomas Winterberg for another round. I love that name. Um, David Fincher for Mank Lee, Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Um, this is a very interesting group of people. Um, Thomas Winterberg getting the nomination is interesting. This is a foreign film, and we don't often see foreign film directors enter this category. We have over, you know, the course of time, um, you know, we've seen Federico Fellini be here. We've uh, seen Ingmar Bergman be here. We we just saw um, Bong Joon-ho be here. Uh, but it, it's still not as common as, you know, seeing American filmmakers be here. So that, that in and of itself is nice, especially for what is not one of the bigger films of the year in terms of what got, like, a lot of buzz around it, but was very, very well done. David Fincher being here for... That's who I was thinking of in that same category. Ah, Hopefully. yes, yes. Alfonso Cuaron, who has been here before he started making English-speaking films, which, you know, um, he's had a phenomenal career. I love him. Um, Saved Harry Potter. Oh, God, yes. Uh, David Fincher being here feels very much so like, well, you know, they made a movie about Hollywood. We have to... Um, don't get me wrong. I love David Fincher. I think he makes great movies. At the same time, I think he is a weak link here. Um I feel like he's in that same boat as uh, Quentin Tarantino, where if he makes a movie, he gets nominated. Was he nominated for Mother? No. There's was exceptions last, to every rule. What was the last movie he was nominated for? Uh, Gone Girl? So he's been nominated for three Oscars. The last one being That's 10 years ago for the social network. I thought. Yeah, no. He so. wasn't nominated for a Gone Girl. Okay, all right. Nope. I'll shut the fuck up. <laughs> yep, Corwin, lying. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, Chloe Zhao's gotten a lot of buzz for this, uh, in part because she is the first um, Asian woman to be nominated in this category, and that's kind of a huge deal. Uh, plus, her movie is phenomenal. So, I'm probably leaning towards Chloe Zhao as both my vote and my likely um, winner. I don't understand why Emerald Fennel is here. Corwin and I talked about this a bit when we talked about Promising Young Woman. Um, I mean, I think directing was one of the weakest parts of that movie. I, 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 mm. I, I don't think she did a good job um, at all, which I don't mean to be mean. I just mean 
to be I don't get why that's here. Um, it's uh, it's odd. It's very odd. I also yeah. Um, so with, with without too much, I don't. Know if this is a tough category because I'm I'm kind of writing off Emerson Fennel. I'm writing off David Fincher. I'm kind of writing off Thomas Vinterberg only because I think that it, it's just a little bit too out of the public sphere, which really just leaves us between Lee Isaac Chung and Chloe Zhao. And if I have to pick between the two of them, I'm probably going to pick Chloe Zhao. Um, so that's my that's my vote and my rationale. Uh, yeah, once again, I, I don't really disagree with anything you have to say. Um, you know, I love seeing Thomas Vinterberg here, and I, I really, really enjoyed another round. But again, I, I don't think it was quite as grandois of a film to to really be considered uh, in all seriousness compared to Minari and Nomadland. Um, yeah, Emerald Fennel, I don't care. David Fincher, I like you. I thought you were more successful than you actually are, but you're you're not worthy this year. Um, so I'm also going to give it to Chloe Zhao. Um, I just, at the end of the day, Nomadland, I think, was a much better film than Minari. And while Minari was extremely well done, I just, I, I am enamored by Nomadland and everything that they were able to create and present with it. I, I think Chloe Zhao was truly remarkable in this, uh, this directorial word for whatever performance would be for a director. I'm I'm with you. So you're going Chloe Zhao for both your vote and your expected winner? Yes. Okay, cool. All right, then let's take this over to Best Adapted Screenplay where Corwin will kick us off. Um the nominees in this for that. <laughs> the nominees for this category are Borat's subsequent movie film, screenplay by Sasha Baron Cohen, Anthony Hines, Dan Swimmer, Peter Bainham, Erica Rivenoha, Dan Mazur, Jenna Friedman, Lee Kern, and then the story is by Sasha Baron Cohen, Anthony Hines, Dan Swimmer, and Nina Pedrad. Um, that is just one nominee. <laughs> um, the other nominees in this category are The Father for Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller, Nomadland, also for Chloe Zhao. One Night in Miami for Kemp Powers, and The White Tiger for Raymond Barani. Uh, again, Corwin, this is yours to get us started. As much as I do think um, Borat's subsequent movie film delivery of Prodigious Bride to American Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, uh, written by Sasha Baron Cohen, Anthony Hines, Dan Swimmer, Peter Bayhammer, uh, uh, I I lost myself. I was going to read the whole thing, but I lost where I was. Uh, was well written. The only reason I would ever vote for that is to see someone, preferably very old, try to read that entire thing on stage. Um, other than that, I think this is a one-horse race, and I don't think anything even deserves to be in the same stadium, the same, you know, uh, awards presentation as the father when it comes to writing. Um, that I mean, the father was one of the best written films I've ever seen, and One Night in Miami was clever at points. White Tiger was clever at points. Nomadland was, you know, really amazing. But I don't think it's the father. 
Borat had Rudy Giuliani jerking off. So, I mean, that's kind of worthy of an Oscar, but tough year for that. Yeah, I, I guess I don't think this is the strongest category we've seen today. Um, Borat's subsequent movie film is a movie I enjoyed. Um, I don't think it's a movie that anyone is expecting to actually take this award home. I think One Night in Miami was uh, poorly written, um, as was The White Tiger. I did not enjoy the writing in either of those films. Um, I think Nomadland is a phenomenal film that doesn't get by on the strength of its writing. Um, I think it's strong in... I think it's brutally strong in so many other areas, and I would not have picked out the writing as being... um, one of the places I would necessarily, you know, stick in like the top three of the power rankings of the strength of this movie. Um, but, and that kind of just leaves the father. Um, now, in terms of who would win this, uh, One Night in Miami, uh, I mean, I, I think. I can't even consider that being an option for the Academy. No, I think if it's going to get votes, it's going to probably get the most votes for this award or for for this film for um, original song for Speak Now at the end. Um, even then, it's going to have stiff competition. But either that or Leslie Odom Jr. I I, uh, I I really just didn't care for it at all, and it kills me to say it. But the White Tiger, I I genuinely can't believe it's fucking nominated for this award. I really thought this was poorly written. Um, but regardless, if if it if it's going to get this is the only award it's nominated for, so I guess if they wanted to do something for it, this is a place that statement could be made, or you know, vote voters might throw their support since it's the only award that this film is nominated for. I think it's a stretch. Again, Bora, I don't think it's going to be taken seriously. I'm not saying it deserves to, but I, I don't think it's going to, especially considering the weight of the other films, whether Josh Tracy thinks they're well-written or not. Um, and so that leaves, again, really kind of just the father of Nomadland between who I think will get it and who I think uh, I would vote for. And I would actually pick the father for both because I think Chloe Zhao winning for Best Director, whom Corwin and I both just chose her to win for, which I think is still the right answer. Um, I think people won't feel that bad not voting for her for this because you go, ah, well, we voted for Chloe for um, best director, and it's not such a such sacrilege just to to split up her award getting. Would I be surprised if Nomad Nomadland won? I would not be, um, but I would expect that the father with a lot of tough competition in the other categories it is nominated for. Um, you know, Anthony Hopkins against Chadwick Boseman, um, Olivia Coleman against uh, Viola Davis. Or sorry, yeah, no, no, Viola Davis is the leading actress. Damn it, I already forgot who's in that fucking category. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck. Oh, against um, Yu Jung Yoon. There we go. Jesus Christ, I knew there was somebody I was trying to think of. Um, this might be a good spot for this award to get a lot of recognition to highlight it. Um in an area where it actually has a decent chance of competing. So I will go the father for both. I assumed you did the same. Yep. The same. Um, I will say before we move on, uh, I would have voted for Borat if they were somehow able to write a script that resulted in Rudy Giuliani getting arrested. I think that would have 
probably been enough of a real world impact to to steal my vote. But yeah, the father all the way. Right on. All right. So then let's take this to best original screenplay, um, where I am the one kicking us off this time. Uh, and the nominees in this category are Judas and the Black Messiah, screenplay by Will Burson, Shaka King, and story by Will Burson, Shaka King, and then Kenny Lucas and Keith Lucas. And I did not realize that they were two of the writers of this fucking movie. I don't know who they are. You ever heard of the Lucas Brothers? The comedy duo? They had an animated no. show on Adult Swim. They have a, oh, a couple stand-up specials on Netflix. Jump Street, right? They were, yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason I know them. And that's and them. That's weird. That's crazy, isn't it? Very. That's so cool. So very happy for the Lucas Brothers here. Just getting nominated. It's cool. Uh, anyway, so that's Judas and the Black Messiah. Minari for Lee Isaac Chung. Promising Young Woman for Emerald Fennel. The Sound of Metal. I keep saying the. Sound of Metal, um, screenplay by Darius Martyr, Abraham Martyr, and story by Darius Martyr and Derek Sienna Francie. Sienna France? Chana France? No idea how you're supposed to pronounce that, and I'm sorry, Derek. Um, and The Trial of the Chicago 7 for Aaron Sorkin. Um, I'm going to very quickly write off The Trial of the Chicago 7 because it ended what? with and everyone clapped. And I can't emphasize how much I hated the fact that this movie ended with and everyone clapped. When, in theory, they read those names for hours. And at some point, everyone would awkwardly stop clapping and then leave? Um, and Frank Langella was just yell the whole time? Made no fucking sense. I hated it so much. Do you, um, do you think when he wrote that, he was just kind of... Uh, what's the term for, for saying something and having it like transcribed? Dictating? Dictate. Do you think he was dictating the script? And then sarcastically said, and then everyone clapped. And it made it and, into the final cut. <laughs> and it just made nobody ever checked. And he was done with that film forever. And it just made it in. You see, if this was a if this was an Aaron Sorkin movie about how Aaron Sorkin wrote the screenplay, he would have there would have been some aide that rushed up to him at the end and been like, Mr. Sorkin, Mr. Sorkin, we don't know how to how to end this movie. And Aaron Sorkin would be like, What do you mean you don't know how to end it? Just write and everyone claps and call it a day during a walk and talk and then Aaron Sorkin would walk into a conference room and then the aide would look confused and then write that down and then into a different hallway and then that would end up in the screenplay uh did we just fix that movie uh no but I did just describe Aaron Sorkin's life as if it was directed by Aaron Sorkin and I think that makes sense um anyway um, this is a fun category because it's Judas, the Black Messiah, Minari, and Sound of Metal. I don't like the screenplay for Promising Young Woman. I, I disagree so vehemently with how it ended. Um, I think it was a truly terrible ending um, on top of a movie that I already didn't really care for, um, that I think did a lot of things wrong. Um, and I would like to, because I had some time to marinate on it, and I would like to actually, I know that I'm kind of shitting on it a little bit late, but I would like to bring up one other point about that film that bothered me so much. And I forget I if I mentioned it, it during the show. Um, but it was the idea that um, Carrie Mulligan's character was so okay with a guy coming along and then just like fixing all of her problems. Just being in a relationship and, you know, the or the idea of a relationship, and she was willing to overlook every red flag 
um, or are all of her previous concerns and misgivings due to her relationship with men um, as it pertains to the backstory of her character with the abuse that her friend suffered. All of that immediately out the window the second a man she like kind of liked came into the picture. And I think that's such a weakness of the character and that can only be um, attributed to the poorness of the screenplay. It's still bothering me after our, a couple of weeks of having watched it, but regardless. Um, I, uh, I do want to say you kept saying promising young woman and I kept thinking pieces of woman and was very confused by the things you were saying. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, no, it is promising a woman. <laughs> uh, all right. So for this category, I, I really think, like I said, for me, this is a three horse race between Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Sound of Metal. And they all do very different things that I think all have a great deal of merit. Sound of Metal is truly an original screenplay in that it seems to derive itself from nowhere. And I think that in of itself is a fascinating story. I think it's, I think it's an accomplishment. And I think obviously it was very well done and captivating the whole way through. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah manages to tell, uh, from as far as we know, rather accurately, a story that is undertold in the um, telling of United States history and doing so without it being too much of a lecture or too much of a sermon, both of which are also big accomplishments that at times felt like a, like, a, like a thriller in certain ways, which I think really is to its benefit. And then Minari is a different take on the classic American tale, um, like a, almost like a grapes of wrath for the 20th century or the late 20th century, the 1980s, um, as told through the eyes of, of an immigrant, um, but a modern, again, to the 80s, immigrant, um, someone coming from South Korea. And I think all of those things, all three of those things have such value when trying to assign the winner of this award. As I said previously, there is some level of myself that would look at what has been nominated for where, what else and what has an odds of winning where else and to that effect i might end up picking sound of metal as being a winner here only because judas and the black messiah and minari might end up taking home other awards elsewhere i think personally i would vote for judas and the black messiah here but i'm going to pick sound of metal as my ultimate winner i am with you point for point um Trial of the Chicago 7 seems like a nominee by default and just not enough people disagreed with and were, you know, <laughs> voiced in anger. To Wait, I like, love that. No, that shouldn't I be. love that as an idea. Like, they brought it up at the meeting and nobody said no. Uh, like, I mean, do we nominate it? Like, uh, I guess... Dude, I've been a part of so many of those meetings in corporate America. The idea of that happening, like, just at the Oscars is hilarious, and I don't think you're wrong. Like, everyone just, they bring up that name. They are just so disgusted with the film they watched and the <laughs> audacity of nominating it that they're just sitting there just fuming, thinking of all the bad things they want to say. And then whoever's running the meeting is like, oh, okay, nobody. All right, all right, moving on. And then they're stuck with it. It's like a, it's like a teams meeting, but like no one took themselves off a of mute. <laughs> <sighs> oh God, I've been a part of so many of these meetings. I know I, exactly how that had have happened. 
I was watching the West Wing this weekend and was reminded what good Aaron Sorkin does. And then thinking back on the comparison, just like the juxtaposition of that and this film is just, it leaves a sour taste in my mouth. Um, that being said, Promising Young Woman, similar boat of it. I just disagree with the nomination altogether. Minari, very interesting story, original story in its own way, and a story I appreciated the telling of. I just don't think it's on the same tier as Judas and the Black Messiah and The Sound of Metal. And for me, while Judas was more of a impactful, meaningful story uh, in you know the grand scheme of things, the originality, the freshness of the sound of metal, the like you said uh, earlier, how it was basically completely original without any other work. The idea was even derived from. Um, I love this film. If it was another year, if it was a weaker year, I think this would run away with a lot of Oscar, um, physical Oscars. I think it would win a lot of, uh, awards. It's just uh, a tough year in the categories it's nominated for and, and where it does uh, really great things. But, uh, I have it winning and, uh, I want it to win and I am, predicting it will win wow Whew. for words uh, left for Very judas and the black messiah no for for sentimental uh, for sentimental yeah okay gotcha 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 all right let's take it to uh film editing we have three left we have editing cinematography and best picture so let's take it to film editing uh so for oh. nomad land and the sound of metal um well i think both of the editing editing performances in that film in wow so for nomadland and the sound of metal uh while editing is not on the forefront of either of these two films i would say that the performances for editing were good enough to almost seamlessly improve both the visual and narrative elements uh in a way where you know editing shouldn't be noticed so it's a positive thing that being said the editing in the father like the writing is just flawless and seamless in a way that it enhances the film and the film just cannot exist in the way that it is currently presented without this level of editing and it is just on an entirely another level um I think it's an easy, easy win for that. Um, yeah, so with, with Promising Young Woman, I think the editing is actually shockingly one of the strengths of this film. Um, I think the editor is trying. I think Frederick Torval is trying his hardest um, to make this film engaging where it can be. Um, and to squeeze the most out of the shots that he has, <laughs> the problems are too deep to make it oh, effective because this movie is such a train wreck. Um, the Trial of the Chicago 7, it, it, I mean, yeah, it is, it, it is well edited. It 
fits the tone and drives forward the narrative um, and captures moods and moments um, in a way that is best befitting of what is happening in the film. I don't think it adds nor contributes um, or, or detracts too much. I think the sound of metal, I got to stop, I keep saying the sound of metal, I think has a lot to do in the editing of it. I think there's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to phrase how I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to put into words how I'm trying to, to want to describe where I think the editing kind of best fit in with the narrative structure of the story. Because there's a rhythm to the film that is braced largely in the concept that he was a drummer. So there, there is, there's some musicality to it that I think ends up coming through in certain segments in the editing. And I think you get a sense of that, especially early on when he's still playing music and then at a few other key moments where music is, is shown. And I think it also to best convey the anger and frustration that Riz Ahmed feels, the editing has a lot of work to do to kind of create the dynamics of those moments, like with the scene in the um, study or whatever that room was where he had to do that writing thing with the donut. No, my land, I'm not going to, I really don't have much to say about the editing of it. I really just didn't pay attention if we're being perfectly honest here, but with the father, you know, you have to build this sense of confusion and that requires a lot of dynamic motion within the sequences you're selecting. In addition though, to maintaining a certain focus around Anthony Hopkins as you move throughout the film so that it's not too detracting and you don't go from drama to like horror, you know? which this film does a good job of being dark, but not like ominous and spooky, (laughs) you know, dark as in like, this is about serious shit. And so I think it's really for me between those two, I would also lend myself to just saying the father, because I think it contributes more directly to the film in that instance, in my mind with no professional editing experience at all. Um, but in my mind. So I think that's where I'm going to land. And I think that's where I would pick it to ultimately win as well. So are we both the father across the board here? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of equate it in a way to like 1917, where it's like from the second you watch the film, it's like, okay, like this is going to win editing. Right. No matter what, this is just the editing film. This it's a lock. I'm with you. All right. So let's take it to best cinematography, our penultimate category for this evening. Um, We have nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah for Sean Bobbitt, Mank for Eric Messerschmidt, News of the World for Darius Wolski, Nomadland for Joshua James Richards, and The Trial of the Chicago 7 for Fadon Papa Michael. That's a phenomenal name, Mr. Papa Michael. Um, any, anyway, uh, all right. So, you know, if we're being honest, 
Mank got this nomination because it's in black and white. And every year, if the Academy Awards sees a movie that is about Hollywood or is in black and white, it is probably going to get an Oscar nomination somewhere. And the black and white movie almost always ends up in cinematography because it's a, I swear to God, it's a bunch of people who are like, movies used to be better when they were black and white voting for this shit. And I'm not saying that the cinematography here is like bad for that reason, but more so it's like you go, oh, of course you're here. Um, so, so I, it's tough not to roll your eyes a little bit when you see Mank there because it's like, again, like every year when there's a black and white artsy movie, it ends up in this category and it seems like they do it just because it's in black and white. Anyway. Um, and same thing with News of the World. It is there because it's a Western and old Westerns are a key part of Hollywood and someone saw that and was like, oh, we should put it in this category um, because it's about the West and look at all the dirt. You see the dirt? Look at all the dirt. Um, so that's why that's there. I think... Now, Nomadland has a little bit less dynamism in its cinematography because it focuses a lot on landscapes and making landscapes interesting can be challenging in certain points because there is an innate beauty and landscape shots that can also be tough to make those shots engaging. That is one of the difficult parts of landscape photography or landscape cinematography. It's so much still life that sometimes intrigue can be lost due to the fact that there's a brief moment of, Hey, that's cool. And then it's like, well, now what? And I think this film doesn't fall victim to that. I think this film does a very effective job of showing you landscapes and um, tight interiors as well. All those shots that take place within the the van that um, Francis McDormand is living within, uh, but also manages to present all of what it shows you in a way that is still engaging. Juice and the Black Messiah, I think, shows its cinematography or employs its cinematography to show the beauty of the moments within what is otherwise a very dark tale, in addition to building a foreboding and ominous surrounding. And having that balance between some of like the more intimate scenes between Daniel Kaluuya and I forget the woman's name who plays his opposite um, as uh, yeah as as um, Fred Hampton's wife I forget her name um, but like you know going from those touching moments and showing a softness and um, you know low light and, and romantic and then going into the the darkness of every single scene with um, Lakeith Stanfield in it presents itself its own set of challenges uh if i had to vote i'd probably vote juice on black messiah but i think nomadland is actually it, it would ultimately win this because of how damn beautiful that movie is yeah i mean i'll i'll sit here and say you know every background on my laptop every background on my phone for the past like eight years has been landscape photography to some degree so boy i'll tell you what this movie did me over um i was absolutely enamored by the cinematography the landscapes the the vistas the views just and the variety that you see with it um you know a little bit of that deep saturation with some open land some mountains in the background or you know some rainy grass in the pacific northwest like that's the stuff that gets me hard in the morning and i love this film so much and i think a large large part of that was the visual aspect 
Um, I mean, it's always the first thing I notice in a film. It's, it's what I focus on most. And um, this just checked every box for me. So um, if I had to, to give a runner up, it would be Judas. Uh, at the same time, Trial of the Chicago 7 doesn't deserve to be nominated. Mank is black and white, so it's getting nominated. And you're right, News of the World is kind of one of those, you know, a poor man's nomad land when it comes to, you know, landscape cinematography and things like that. So nomad land uh, for both for me. All right. And that brings us to the, uh, the creme de la creme here. Our final category the biggest one of the night, the final award at the actual ceremony, if you feel like staying up to like 2 a.m. to see it, and that is Best Picture. So the nominees are The Father for David Parfit, Jean-Louis Levy, and Philip Carcassonne, guessing here, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah for Shaka King, Charles D. King, and Ryan Coogler, Mank for Sayon Shafin, uh, Eric Roth and Douglas Urbanski, Minari for Christina O, oh, uh, Nomadland for Francis McDormand, Peter Spears, Molia Asher, uh, Dan Janvey, and Chloe Zhao, Promising Young Woman for Ben Browning, Ashley Fox, Emerald Fennel, and Josie McNamara, Sound of Metal for Bert Hamelink, Sasha Ben Haroche, or Haroche, I'm not really sure, um, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven for Mark Platt and Stuart Besser. Corbin, you have the honor of getting us started. I hate that I am the one that has to lead this off because <laughs> I... <laughs> am fucking torn i mean promising young woman fuck off the trial of the chicago seven fuck off minari mank judas and the black messiah thanks for showing up i appreciate what you did i'm not considering you uh mostly because of the guys you're here playing with sound of metal i really really want you to be in the finals but unfortunately it's just too good of a year for that um and it's it's the father and it's nomadlands and i just don't know what to pick at all um on one hand i if i had to predict i'd have to say nomadland would win it just because I feel like at the end of the day, that's the one that's gotten the focus. Um, I mean, you and I both didn't know anything about the father and I haven't heard anything about the father since it came out other than in, you know, the niche film Oscars areas of the internet where we spend some time um, where Nomadland is a, a widespread release. That's, that's, known by everyone that's advertised everywhere it, it's just it's the one that i think is going to win it's the one i think more people have seen and would put more weight towards 
but I just I don't I don't want to make a decision and I am absolutely broken up by indecision and just frozen by it. Um like Nomadland I I think I connected with more. It definitely gave me the stronger emotional connection uh and drew that out of me more. I just think the father was such an unbelievably well-written film and well-made film. I mean, I can't even hold that against Nomadland. I don't know. Part of it, I think, is the 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 recency bias of just seeing the father and seeing as it is one of those films where the first time you view it, it has a much larger impact because it surprises you. I think that is definitely... Uh, more biased in my mind so final answer i i am going to go with nomadland for best picture and that's as your pick and also your expected winner correct gotcha okay uh all right so this this is a challenging one so all right let me start with this my approach to best picture is it which movie is pushing forward the medium or presenting new concepts and storytelling as well as which was just best done and you know because you gotta think what is the what is the lasting impact of who wins best picture and it's representative of some advancement in the culture and the arts specifically of cinema. And to that effect, we can effectively eliminate the trial of Chicago seven because it just doesn't do anything in that vein. Um, because it's not good. And, uh, and, it, and because it's fucking just fine, it's fine. It's just fine. It doesn't need to be here just because it has famous people in it anyway. Um, God, it's annoying as shit. And I will say the same thing for Mank. I, I, it doesn't, that doesn't do, I, I look, I love Hollywood. I love the idea of tales about old Hollywood. There are so fucking many movies about old Hollywood that it's just tough to say that, that there's, unless it's doing something truly different, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did, where it really actually went for a different approach to the concept of showing you old Hollywood and storytelling within the film itself, I don't think it makes any sense to pick Mank for this either. So we're going to, I'm going to write in that one off too. Promising a woman. I just didn't th- I thought it was a bad movie. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm writing that down too. Um, all right. So now that leaves me with the father, Judas and the black Messiah, Minari, Nomadland and sound of metal. And what, what these films do in my mind is, is that they are presenting either stories that we don't often hear, or they're presenting stories in different ways. The father is showing a story that we don't often see much, especially from the vantage point that it's in. Judas and the Black Messiah is showing us a, uh, a story that is um, in the history books, but lesser known. Uh, Minari is showing us a like we like I said previously a, a, a part of American life, but not from the perspective you're used to seeing it from. Much the same as Nomadland is a lesser known story, but a, um, the reality for a lot of people. And Sound of Metal really being, I think, kind of the standalone guy here with how niche and specific it, it truly is oh now there's a weight 
to the idea of best picture that I think I'm going to write sound of metal away from only because I don't think it, this is such a bad reason to write it off. But at the same time, I think it's a realistic reason to write it off in that it doesn't carry the same name brand quality as the other ones. And again, is that something that should be held against it for giving it ratings and reviews? Absolutely fucking not. Um, For predicting whether or not it wins awards. uh, That's where I'm at. So I'm going to write that one off. I'm probably going to also write off Judas and the Black Messiah only because I think historical drama is tough to win here because these are stories that exist elsewhere. And again, is that a good reason to hold against it? Absolutely not. Um, But I'm being realistic here. And I, I think that especially with it being present and likely to win so many other categories, even though this was one of, I mean, you remember my review of this. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, Absolutely. I love, like, this is 1A or 1B for me of the films that are present here. I loved that movie. Um, I'm going to write it off for what I think will win. I think you're right. I think Nomadland probably is going to take this, and I'm going to jot that down as what I think will win as well, but it's not going to get my vote. Man, if I had to pick, I'm between the father and Judas and the black Messiah, which are my two favorite movies here. Oh man. And you know what? I think, I think I cried at both of these two. So I can't even use that as, as, as reasoning. Damn. Oh man. Fuck. Fuck. It is surprisingly tough this year. It's usually not. It's usually like, a, okay, that's the one. It could be close, but it, there's usually a front runner. This year's a dead heat. Well, I, at the top end, usually it's like a bunch of great movies and then one like outstanding movie. But this year it's like a few great movies and then like some of this is slop. <laughs> it's a few shit movies, a couple decent ones, a couple good ones, and then two pillars. Oh, mm. Um, fuck, god damn it, I hate making this choice. I, I, I can't, I can't pick. Ah, but I have to because you had to pick. Shit. Fuck me. Fuck me. Oh, God, every time I think I'm about to say the name of the movie I'm going to pick, I go, well, but the other one. <laughs> Shit. Oh, son of a bitch. I hate myself in this moment. Who would I actually vote for for best picture if I had the nomination slip in front of me? If you actually had the ballot, how yeah. long do you think it would take you to, to fill that out? If we're being earnest, I would probably take a while. I would probably take a couple weeks. It it would be for I would have to watch both of them three, four times. Like back to back. Yeah, I mean, I would take very careful consideration of where I'm at. I wouldn't be quite as flippant um, just to make sure I'm being as honest with myself and the voting processes I could be. Ah, oh, shit, 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 shit. I hate it. Judas and the Black Messiah. That's what I'm locking it in. 
Wow, good. I'm glad you picked it. Okay. All right. So then that's all of them. So the way, uh, so Corwin's ballot looks as such best picture, Nomadland, best actor in a leading role, Anthony Hopkins, best actress in a leading role, Frances McDormand, best actor in a supporting role, Daniel Kaluuya, best actress in a supporting role, Glenn Close, best director, Chloe Zhao, best screenplay, best original screenplay for The Sound of Metal, best adapted screenplay, The Father, best film editing, The Father, and best cinematography, Nomadland, the only departures in which Corwin, which awards Corwin expects to win are uh, Chadwick Boseman for best actor. And that's it. Otherwise you picked everything you, you picked to win. Uh, My ballot would look as such best picture, Judas and the Black Messiah, best actor, Anthony Hopkins, best actress, Viola Davis, Best Supporting Actor, Daniel Kaluuya. Best Supporting Actress, Olivia Colman. Best Director, Chloe Zhao. Best Original Screenplay for Judas and the Black Messiah. Best Adapted Screenplay, The Father. Best Film Editing for The Father. And Best Cinematography for Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, my actual expected wins, the only differences are Nomadland for Best Picture. Also, Chadwick Boseman for Best Actor. Um, uh, Yu Jung Yoon for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, best original screenplay going to Sound of Metal and best cinematography going to Nomadland. Uh, and that's it. Damn. It, we made it. We did it, folks. We did it. So that is kind of it. This is what we've been building up towards. So that is all of the full slate of our predictions um, and and also what we would vote for. So the this episode will be um, releasing, well, I mean, you're listening to it, so it has released. Um, we will then be recording our reactions to the Oscars after uh, the full slate of awards get announced. So that episode will be coming out probably Tuesday, since I, I don't think Corbin nor I would want to stay up late enough on Sunday night to both watch the Oscars and then record an entire episode about it. So look out for that on Tuesday, uh, normal uh, release schedule and then again we'll be back to standard business and practices of picking movies at random and discussing them as we feel uh, Corwin any other thoughts before we skedaddle how long until we have to start doing this process again um, eight months nine months one I'll full survive. gestation period for a human child cool I'm yeah. about to go to pregnant you know it, buddy. You keep trying. One day you and Ethan will have some success. Um, all right. So well then, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at um, Big Screen Juice. We do not post in there often. So if you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you want to send us any emails about anything you feel like, you do so at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And that is it for this week. So until Tuesday, post Oscars life, y'all have a good one.